And I really wish, just in life as a whole, that there was just sunshine, that there was no storms, that there were no wrenches thrown into the gears, that uh, forward momentum never stopped, that everything was, was positive. The only energy you had to expend was, was moving forward in a positive way. But sometimes darkness hits and you just come to a screeching halt. I mean, that's the way it is in my life. My family, I'm guessing it's the way it is in yours. Sometimes that's the way it is in the church. I've been reminded this week that the difference between dysfunctional, unhealthy family and a functional, healthy family, it's not an absence or presence of issues. Everyone's got issues. But it's how you deal with the issues. It's how you respond in the darkness. The difference between a person who honors God and a person who who doesn't, has nothing to do with issues. It's how they respond in the middle of the issues. And so here's our question. How do we respond in the darkness, corporate darkness, personal darkness? It's huge because what you do in the darkness is going to determine so much. You know, darkness is going to tell us two things. First of all, it's going to tell us who you are. Darkness is kind of like uh, the, the pressure on a tube of toothpaste. When, when that tube of toothpaste is squeezed, what comes out is what really what was inside all along. And so darkness, pressure does that to us. Also, though, it, it does this. Darkness makes us, it pushes us to a place where we have to decide. And so what we do with that darkness will determine who we're going to become. And so it's really, really important Lots of dysfunctional, unhealthy ways to respond to pain and darkness. But, but how, how do you? How, how do I? How do we as a body? In Psalm 88, it's probably the saddest, most dark psalm in the Psalter, maybe chapter in the Bible. But I think in there, God has it in there for us for such a time as this. If you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me to Psalm 88? And this week, um, Tim Keller, Brian Chappell, Derek Kidner, some folk have been very helpful. But let, me, let me read Psalm 88. If you don't have it, you can follow on the screen. If you've got it, follow along in your Bible. And, and, and listen to this man's heart, if you can, not just his words. O oh Lord, the God who saves me day and night, I cry out before you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of trouble, and my life draws near the grave. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like a man without strength. I am set apart from the dead, like the slain who live in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me. My closest friends, and you've made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, O Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? To those who are dead, rise up and praise you. Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? 
From my youth I have been afflicted and close to death. I have suffered your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. And darkness is my closest friend. You know, this is a very unique psalm. Because where do you see hope here? I mean, this is one of the lament psalms, of course. But most lament psalms go through all the guy's problems. And at the end, it will usually say something like, but I turn my eyes to the Lord who will deliver me. Or one day I am sure I will be vindicated. There's some hope at the end, but there's no hope here. Verse 18 says, the dark, darkness is my closest friend. Keller points out that in the Hebrew, the last word in that verse is darkness. Darkness has the final word. And it's not just for a short time. If you look at verse 15, he says, From my youth I have been afflicted and close to death. This has been going on for quite some time. It's a chronic issue. You know, we don't know really what this guy was going through, and I think that's good. Otherwise, we might say, well, his thing was whatever. My thing is a little bit different. It's not listed, but two things are listed in here. One, he says a couple of different places. I'm lonely. My friends are gone. I have no one I can turn to. Maybe like Job, for whatever reason, his friends have turned on him, or his friends have left him, or he's moved. Whatever the issue is, they've all died. We don't know he's lonely. Key key thread in, in all darkness. Second thing he points out here is more of an internal deal. Not only are there no friends externally, But I feel far away from God. Isn't that what darkness is? I feel far away from God. Did you notice in this prayer, this guy prays, and then he prays, and then he prays, and God never shows up. It's possible. It's possible to be one who loves God, who walks close to him, who prays, who seeks him, who raises, they worship him. And he's quiet. And they live in chronic darkness. Sometimes we develop a theology that says darkness is something that shouldn't be part of who I am. Martin Marty is a uh, theologian out of University of Chicago. He says this. He says, whoever tries to devise from Scripture a philosophy of life in which everything always turns out all right... In the end, must begin by tearing this page, Psalm 88, out of his Bible. We might say, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. Don't all things work together for good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Romans 8, 28 lets us know all things work together for good. But here's important for us to remember. We may never, ever, ever know it. Really, really important. We start trying to figure out the whys. And that's when we get ourselves into trouble. In John chapter 11, Jesus, remember this, Jesus is having a conference on the, the, the east side of the Jordan River. And he gets a message from Mary and Martha saying, you know what, Lazarus, your good friend, is getting ready to die. Now, what's wild about this 
is Jesus' ministry is almost at its zenith. In just a couple of days, he's going to present himself to Israel as the king, the Messiah. I mean, everything in the Old Testament is pointing towards this. This is huge. He doesn't have time. for. I mean, this is a, a personal crisis that's just messing things up. So Jesus stays there at the conference, and then he goes to see them. And, of course, by the time we know the story, by the time he gets there, Lazarus has already been in the, the grave four days. And Martha comes to him. And Martha says to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And then her kid sister comes, Mary. And Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is, this is us. Isn't it? This is not ancient. I mean, this is great faith. I know you're able. So why? I mean, why, Lord? Why? You could have fixed this. You could have kept the car from going over the center line. You could have kept the accident from happening. You could have if, if fixed the body. You could have healed one simple little healing. Why? Not yes, you're able. We believe that. Why didn't you? And Jesus, this is good for us. Because in darkness, we want to ask why. And Jesus doesn't answer here. He doesn't start saying, well, Mary, let me give you the theological reasons, because that's not going to work. That's not going to satisfy. What answer would satisfy? Well, you need to understand, Mary. See, people are going to come to know Christ through this. You think, well, well, Lord, couldn't you have done that through some other way? Did you have to take my brother? There's really no answer. So Jesus doesn't even offer one. What does this is when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have they laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. That see how he loved him is there, I think, to let us know that Jesus really wept. The answer in darkness is just to weep. It's just for us to know. He knows. There's no words that are going to fix it. Now, earlier, Jesus had told his disciples, they weren't emotionally engaged yet. He said, you know what? This has happened so that God would be glorified. But he doesn't pull that on Mary and Martha in the moment of their distress. When people are in deep darkness, they don't need anyone to tell them, listen, God did this because we don't know. What they need is for people to weep with them. We are... are In darkness we live. We wish we didn't, but we are are, are there. And and a key thing for us, this is so important, is our expectations are sometimes such that we think we shouldn't. We should get very little darkness in this life. Well, that's not in, in Scripture at all. If I was to take you up to a room, and just before I opened the door and let you in, I said, you know, this is the honeymoon suite. You might start thinking, well, okay, what, what goes into honeymoon suite? Oh, this is, wow, this is going to be wild. And I bring you in, and it's just a normal hotel room. And what's gonna, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> this stinks. This is awful. This is, this, is, this is not good. But if I brought you to that same room, and I said, this is a jail cell, and I opened the door and let you in, you'd be saying, wow, this is okay. This is pre-. You know what? It's interesting. Exact same room. The only thing that made any kind of difference in your response 
was your expectations. And if our expectations are that when I go through this life, it's always going to be sunshine, then you know what? When it rains, we're going to have some real issues. Theologically, we're going to have some real issues. But recognizing and realizing that we were were born for darkness. It's just going to, it's going to be, Job says, as surely as sparks fly forward, man, upward man is born for darkness. Jesus says, in this world, you will have many troubles. Darkness is where our lot is. In darkness, we live, but in darkness also, we, we learn. Look at this guy. This is, this guy is encouraging to me. By the way, let me mention this. I think this is fascinating. Psalm 88 if I'm God, I'm not letting this be in the Bible. I'm saying, you know what? We're leaving this one out. Or I'm saying, let's censor this. Let's, let's change his terminology a little because he's got really raw language here. He's blaming God for some stuff. Or I'm going to be saying, you know what? Let's slap on a verse about hope. But what's amazing to me is God didn't just allow this in. God inspired this. This guy's dark night. To let you and I know that we can pray and pray and pray and hope. And we can expect that if life is going well, there should be no darkness. No, that's just not the way it is. That's not the way it is. Also in darkness, we we learn. Look at this guy, verses 1 and 2. He says, O Lord, the God who saves me day and night, I cry out before you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to me. Then in verse 9, he says, I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. And then in verse 13, he says, But I call to you for help, O Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? I know that there are questions that are born out of cynicism and unbelief. I'm there. I know that. But this guy's questioning was not out of doubt. It was out of faith. This guy, because he was consistent, because he was continually coming to God, even though God was not showing up, because of that, he's demonstrating great faith. This is so important because when we get into darkness, we get that crossroads, and we can either decide, we're going to go this way. God, we've prayed, and you didn't show we're out of here. How many people have we seen do that? Or we, we say, like Job, like this guy, though he slay me, I will trust in him. It's so important when we're in darkness that we keep bringing our questions to him. And you know what? If he never answers them, then oh well. Because, and you know this, if in fact we stop and we go look into the world and its philosophies and its systems for answers, what we're going to end up with are a lot of regret and a lot of scars. How many, how many personally have you seen somebody who's walked during darkness and they've, maybe they've come back with a lot of regret? And a lot of pain. The number one place we can be in darkness is before him. It's right at his feet. It's listening to that which he has. I think of uh, uh, Psalm 23. This is is huge. In verse 3, it says, uh, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Very next verse. It says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, read these together. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In other words, the valley of the shadow of death, that path is a path of righteousness 
that the shepherd has led him down. Sometimes God leads us through darkness. And this is why. And in the first three verses of Psalm 23, if you look at it, he's talking about God. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He, he leads me in paths of righteousness. He, 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 third person. I'm talking about him. But verse 4, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. He changes pronouns. He's not talking about God anymore. Now he's talking to him. Your rod and your staff, they come from me. There's just something about darkness that takes our faith from, from uh, the theoretical and makes it experiential. Is this real or not? Is it just theory? You're going to be lost. Experiential. It's in the, the darkness that we, we, we learn. I was at Mayo Clinic, 1995. Uh, just saw our neurologist. He said, uh, came in. I lost all my balance. I was wheelchair, terrible headaches. And he came in, looked after a week of testing. He kind of looked at Teresa and myself, put his head down and did one of those. Closed the door, sat down with us and said, Mr. Harris, I have some bad news. And he put up these pictures of my brain. He's pointing to all this stuff on my foggy type stuff on my brain stem. He says, see all this? It's not supposed to be here. I said, well, what is it? He said, we, we, don't, we don't know. So I asked the question that, of course, is running through everyone's mind. Well, is it cancer? He said, well, we've, we've scratched off just about everything else, but we won't know till we biopsy. Well, that, I think it was that day. Teresa's, I got this picture etched in my head. Teresa's pushing me down right in front of St. Luke's Hospital in Rochester, one of Mayo's hospitals. And while it's sunny outside, but inside, uh, it's probably one of the darkest times I've been in. I'm thinking I'm going to die at 33 years of age. My wife and my kids will never know me. And then one of two times in my life, God spoke to me, I think. This was one of them. No audible voice, but inside, clear as a day, he said, Hey, Mark, things are right on schedule. Didn't tell me why. Didn't tell me you're not going to die. I still assumed I was going to at that point. But things are right on schedule. I thought, well, really? Is this part of the plan? Well, all right. I gave my life to you. I trust you. All right. If this is part of it, let's go. My faith grew in that darkness in ways it could never have grown in the light. Darkness does that. For if we live in our darkness, we learn in our darkness. But also, we're directed in our, in our darkness. The thing that amazes me about this psalm is the author of the psalm. If you look above verse 1 in your Bible, this actually can be verse 1 in the Hebrew, but it's, it's a superscript. It says, a song a psalm of the sons of Korah for the director of music according to Mahalath, Leniath, Amaskal. Those are probably musical terms. We're not even sure what that means. Of Heman the Ezraite. There's our author, Heman. Kind of an obscure guy. But according to First Chronicles 6, Heman was one of the three major leaders in the nation of Israel at the, the tabernacle at that point in history. Going to be the temple. David appointed Heman personally. He was in charge, major groups. He was in charge of part of the, 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 the worship, the bringing the nation of Israel before God righteously. 
Haman ended up, his guild, writing Psalms 42 to 49, some of the most powerful psalms in the Psalter. As the deer longs for flowing streams, so my heart longs for you, O God. Haman. Also, 1 Kings 4 lets us know that this Haman, one of the wisest men in the nation of Israel, his wisdom was just under Solomon's. It's a very wise man. Now, not Harvard-type person. Uh, It's talking about an ability to see life and understand how God and faith interact with life and, and live it accordingly that would please God that's righteous. Now, is it an accident, do you think, that the guy that can write some of the most powerful, some of the most reflective, some of the, some psalms that today reach the depths of our heart. Is it an accident that the guy that wrote that was somebody who was very well acquainted with dark, dark nights? Is it an accident that somebody who's one of the wisest men in Israel, not just head smarts, but truly understands how, how faith and, and life intersect? Is it, an, is it a coincidence that this guy knows deep, dark nights? I think not. It's in our, our darkness that he, he makes us. It was in the darkness, I think, that Haman learned and was able to write those kind of psalms. It was in the darkness that, that Haman realized who his God is. I was in Cincinnati. I don't think I've ever told this one. Uh... There were four pastors at the church. There were about a church of 500. And I told the church, you know what, I'm going to Dallas Seminary. That's where I was planning. That's where I wanted to do. So I was going. They, they said, okay, well, we're going to hire a new pastor. I said, yep, hire him. They said, you know, if we hire this guy, Mark, he's going to take your job. I said, hire him, hire him. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going to. So they said, well, okay. So they hire this guy. Meanwhile, while they're in the middle of this process, I get sick. And so I am wheelchaired. I can get around with a walker barely. And I'm thinking, I cannot be going to Dallas right now and taking a full-time load and working full-time in order to get insurance for my family. So I'm still hanging out at the church. And I was working. Uh, But I remember they sat down with me and they said, you know what? You were going to go and we understand your current situation. It's it's rough and all, but financially we can't pull this off. So, you know, be thinking about something. So I was looking and, you know, no one's going to. Hire me. I had one church tell me, Mr. Harris, we really don't want a handicapped pastor. And I remember telling him, you know what, I don't really blame you, but of course it's illegal for you to say that. So I'd be careful about, about next time you pull that one. You shouldn't, shouldn't say that. Um, then then what, what I did is I checked Cincinnati's a big place, east side of Cincinnati. It was growing like, like leaps and bounds, perfect for a church plant. I had another couple that was coming with us who were excellent at this. Talked to the DS for the alliance. He said, let's do it. That's fantastic. I remember I sat, we did all of our demographics. We were ready to go. I sat down with the board. I said, okay, board, you need me out of your hair. I need to be out of your hair. That's fine. Three things I want to ask of you. One, if you could help support us financially in this thing, that'd be fantastic. Number two, if you can't, I understand that. But let me walk through the congregation and tap five, six, seven couples on the shoulder and ask them to come and help us just for a year to get it started. And if you can't do that, I got it. But third, I've got to have your blessing. I can't, can't do this without your blessing. What do you think? And they said, okay, well, we'll think about it, pray about it. About, I don't know, several days later, I met with uh, three elders. And they said, okay, here's the deal. No money, no people, no blessing. 
And I said, wait a minute, this is 25 miles away. We're attracting nobody anywhere near there. It's not going to be any kind of issue. I mean, if I fail, it's not your issue. Don't even worry about that. I got the backing, the denominator. It's going to be fine. They said, no money, no people, no blessing. I said, can you, I mean, can you give me some reason, something I should work on or something? They said, listen, remember Skip told me, hey, we've prayed. I don't understand it. I just know we prayed and we just really sense no. And I called up the DS. I said, they said no. And he was kind of mad at the time. He said, you know what? Let's the heck with them. Let's go do this anyway. And I've got a, such a biblical, I think, scripture preaches constituted authority. Elders are not always right, but they're not to be disobeyed unless they're violating scripture. And so I'm like, no, we can't, can't do this. So I didn't know what to do. It was just a few days later that uh, Appleton Alliance called me back. Um, and that was about 12 years of some of the best ministry, exciting, exciting times that I would have missed. It's in the darkness that God makes us. It's in darkness that he directs us and gets us to where he wants us to be. Our lives are not in the hands of any people or any events or any diseases. They're in the hands of our God. Also darkness. It reminds us of Jesus. Because scripture lets us know that humans got an appointment, as we all do, with a place that scripture calls a place of utter darkness. Hell. Where there's full, total, complete darkness. So Heman thought that he had full darkness. Eh? thousand years after Heman, David's great, 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 grand plus grandsons hanging on the cross. And this is what it says. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came all over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he knew the question was for our benefit. God forsook him because he was taking Heman's place. Because Heman was on his way. But Jesus stopped and said, no, no, don't let him go. Because you have a cross. I do. The reason why they nailed that little thing on the cross that says King of the Jews is to cover up the nameplate that was on there etched before, which was my name, which was your name. That was our cross. We should have been on. And that was just the precursor to eternity without God. And so when Jesus took Heman's place and took your place and took mine, and dark, he took that, that darkness, total, complete darkness for us. And if you don't, let me, if you're here this morning and you, you're like Psalm 88, really, when you think about it, you have no hope. You're just going to, he who dies with the most toys wins kind of thing. I don't know. I'm just going to do the best and hopefully it'll work out okay. Really, you have no hope. Let me introduce you to your only hope right here. Jesus, your creator, your redeemer, died for you. And if, in fact, you were to surrender your life to him, all of that which separates you from God is gone. He's paid for that, that, that price. But because he, he paid that price, then you know what? This church, it's not my church. It's not your church. It's his church. I mean, pastors come and go. And you know what? Congregants come or go. Come and go. None of us in this room are going to be here in 100 years. 
Uh, I trust this church, if the Lord tallies and he doesn't return yet, I trust that the church will still be here, still be strong. But this is our time and place in history. This is his church. And he has said, I will build my church. And nothing, nothing you can do. Not the gates of hell himself cannot prevail against it. So we know that the mission he's called us to, to transform Gary, this is not an extra biblical revelation, this is Matthew 28. He wants us to keep about it. So what do we do with this? Well, we've got to keep this in mind, that, that darkness is going to come in life, and how you handle it is going to, going to make or break you. That he's there with it, and he's sovereign over it, and somehow, for the good, yes, it works. We don't know how, but we're going to seek to honor him in it and call on his name and look to him. Regarding the hunters, what do we do? Well, we're going to honor what they've asked us to do, too. We're going to pray for them. So I want to ask you personally, for the next few weeks especially, would you, would you be praying with me for them? And then secondly, they ask that we respect their privacy. And those kind of things, you know, we all want to know more. Listen, that's, that's our depraved curiosity. It serves no godly purpose at all. And so we say, you know what? We're going to respect their privacy. We're going to love them. We're going to, to, to seek their, their, their benefit. And that's, 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 that's what we'll do. Now, God's word is huge in healing and growing and making this place, making you and I the brightest light we can be in this world. So just by looking ahead, next week, we're starting in on a very important series. We're going to go through the the book of Philippians. And and I don't know how familiar you are with this. Only four chapters, small little book. Paul wrote from prison. Very, very important, incredible lessons for you and I. So here's your homework this week. Find the book of Philippians in your Bible, New Testament, only four chapters. Read it through slowly. And as you do, be praying, God, this coming few weeks be huge for me. Would you help me to look more like Jesus? And you know what? He wants to do that. He wants to do that.